0: Phil, were you <laughs> were you going to say something?
1: I don't think it was going to be productive. It was going to be funny, but it wasn't going to be productive. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I a natural fit. I decided that you know, also in principle, I'm going to drink the last of my bottle of Russian standard vodka <laughs> in private because <laughs> I have told people it's the house vodka you know, here. But now I, it's,
2: I actually have a much better vodka option for your needs. Oh, which is the, oh, the, uh, Vodka of, of Iceland, yeah. which I think should be our new sponsor given we want to yeah. meet at some point in Iceland. So. I mean, oh my gosh.
0: how Icelandic okay. of this company to have a coffee cup with a carabiner as the handle.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It, I hope true. that on the bottom of the cup it says not a life-saving device. Uh,
2: no, it, it, <laughs> it does say on the other side, lava first sight, which I think is right. Really oh. I think that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Great.
1: This yeah. is our yeah. best- Cina's
2: and by the way, the vodka is amazing. It's one of the best vodkas I've had. And I've had lots of Scandinavian vodkas like Finlandia and things like that. And this is something else. It's really, really good.
0: Yeah. No, but what I was thinking is, you know, um, I, I think I, last year I asked you guys for like body shot, body shots. That's not, the, that's not what I mean. Before. Um, uh, <laughs> <Never fine> we
1: again.
3: fine. <laughs>
0: yeah, Thanks. That, yeah, all. <laughs>
3: Awesome.
0: But like pull, like head to toe, right? Because I like to put them on the thing. So I don't know if you've got other. So you need to
2: stop talking. Stop, stop oh, yeah, saying right.
0: That. Fully clothed. Awesome. Fully clothed now. This is PG. Um, mm. PG 13 because Phil said shit. So. That's what's
3: new about this
0: season. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. In season five, they're drunk all the time. <laughs> And they're, and they're naked. It's silly. <laughs> in
3: Iceland. In Iceland. <laughs>
0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. I'm Chris Lockhart. We have with us Philly Anoff, Oliver Kronk, Wendy Keene. And we are talking today about... um, I was gonna call it narratives, but I think it's really about storytelling. It's really about effective communication in the way in which we communicate our ideas to our peers and our clients. Um, consultants, I mean, this is bread and butter for what what we do as consultants. Um, and I think it, it's it's worth um, a discussion. And I think we've got some pretty good examples and you can see it around the world every day. Um, going on of, of effective communication and not so effective communication but phil i know you've got you, you you you've thought about this more than i have so i'm wondering if you can sort of help describe you know um your view on this cuz you had a, you had a, you had a good take in the pre roll
1: yeah I, I think that if you cannot tell a story you cannot enlist others into your Endeavor, whatever that might be, right? You have to be able to plant a flag. You have to be able to create a vision of where you are headed. And you know, and I think it is why people, for example, might ask someone to work with them as a consultant in some space. They can't tell this tale on their own. For some reason, they're inside this bit and they can't see it, they can't tell it, and they need someone to create that external narrative arc. But if you've got a story, then you can create a vision of where you're headed and people understand it and they will follow and they will all come in line. And better yet, they'll communicate it to each other, right? But if you can't get a story right, I mean, they're just wandering around because no one knows exactly what to do. And I've got to believe that everyone that we are talking to has been in some project and they're going, I don't think this guy knows where he's headed. Or I don't think this guy knows what we're up to. Uh, I don't, I know I'm lost, but I think he might be lost too.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many of you've read the book Sapiens, but one of the things I found fascinating from Sapiens was how effectively civilization is basically just shared storytelling. Uh, and, you know, that was one of my big takeaways from from the book. And it's so true, right? You know, everything from currency to organizations to nation boundaries is a story we're all sharing. We're, you know, it's 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 not a natural thing. It's something that we have in, in, in human Culture and civilization, and so the really interesting thing about our ability to kind of co- cooperate uh, and, and work in a business setting and, and do you know, consulting is ultimately, as as Phil just said, that that kind of shared purpose, shared mission. Which it, it, and the best way to convey that is is, is with storytelling, because we're we kind of programmed, it seems, or have evolved to kind of share stories and tell each other's stories. So no, I think it's it's a vital skill. I think it's hard though. I think it's it's easy to sort of say, "I'll oh, tell a story." But the reality is, it's actually quite hard to do that, particularly if you're kind of you're used to being in the nuts and bolts or the detail of a, of the subject matter, like an SME in a specific space. And then all of a sudden you said, "Oh, yeah, but you need to lift your head out of that space and tell the story." It's it's, it's easy to say that to someone, but really, actually, sometimes quite hard to create the right analogies and the emotional connection that's going to get people fired up.
0: Yeah, and you know, not everyone has the skill set right for that, right? To and, or feels comfortable doing that sort of thing, right? And you know. I, I I know people, I'm sure we all know people that um, uh, th- approach the world in a particular way, right? Like uh, my wife said, like in accounting and finance, right? So she deals with numbers and things all the time, right? And I deal in the world of, you know, I'm a history major. Right. Let's talk about, you know, so we 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 approach things from from different perspectives. But I mean, I, Phil, you had you had an interesting story that you were telling me about uh, your the board game conference that that you went to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, by the way, I think the thing is, when you break it down and at least one way I've heard this is that some people are, you know, they're they're intuition right or their their natural way of working some people are really good at working with people some people are really good at working with things and some people are really good working with ideas and i don't know if that's a measured kind of a thing but i think it's a useful framework for kind of thinking about how we're talking to people so i was just telling the story about how i went to this board game convention i went with another really smart friend of mine who's really good at playing games But he and I, I noticed when we were there, there was this energy because we were playing two different kinds of games. I like games where you are playing the people at the table. You are playing against and with them and trying to figure out something, right? Whereas he was playing a game and his style of game, and this, I know it sounds pejorative, right? But I feel like it was accounting for points or something, right? But I mean, but the whole idea was it was like you were doing little engineering drawings of towns and villages. Now, it's a great game and people love this game. But I was sitting there thinking there's almost no interaction with the other players. I am never at any point either coaxing or coercing or bullying someone at the table as a game, right? I mean, because that's what some of the games I play are about. I mean, I like to bluff. I like the social deduction stuff. But I think in this, that was an ability is I'm naturally built. My brain is wired to tell a story at the table and to either engage people in the story or tell them a story to kind of influence them at the table. That's the game I like to play. The game of let's keep track of this set of numbers and let this thing, ugh, not my game. But he, as an engineering bent, was naturally wired for that, and was really good at it. And I just had no aptitude for
0: that. So, so I mean, so that's that's like a framework, right? For for that, and I know Wendy, we we just talked not that long ago about business architecture and frameworks, right? I mean, is there a framework for storytelling here? Is, do we need an arch, a storytelling architecture? We have a new role, new role, TM uh, trademark the storytelling architect.
3: I do really like this, though. I think this is, um, you know, Phil, as you say, there's people, there's ideas, there's things. I think there's a lot of truth to that. To your point, Chris, it, there there is storytelling methodologies, right? Just look at the hero's journey. A lot of people will go back to that. There are tons of classes today and even tons of storytelling frameworks. There are even storytelling canvases I've seen a, a really good business school class for leaders so they can tell their strategies through story. But I also think to the people, things, ideas, humans are really different. I work with a lot of architects and engineer types and and it is true that they are not as comfortable in storytelling where we're focused on the idea, we're focused on the thing. And it's really hard for us not to show all our work and tell all of it. So this is where I think it's really powerful to team up with people who can tell the stories both verbally and visually. Um, because I think the visual side is is also a really important part of this as well. So really drawing on, on on multiple strengths.
0: When we were talking about architecture, business architecture, and and you were I think talking about, or maybe it was maybe it was Oliver talking about, you know, that that connection between all the different elements of of the business, right? And how that basically is telling a story, right? About here's what we do and why we do it and and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I just, I think, you know, there's some of these, I, I, you know, I, I was telling you guys, I think about, you know, a, a colleague of mine and it's like, you know, and we all, we've all known these people, right? Super smart people, right? No question about it. Um, but, you know, just unable to communicate an idea in a way that lands right with a particular audience
2: yeah, no, I've, I've got a tangible example of this one. I think it's, so I was working on a, a transformation project to kind of move uh, an organization I was working at, sort of productivity systems from on-prem to cloud. And, you know, initially, I think I was far too obsessed with the technical kind of advantages and bells and whistles. And then it was kind of after sitting down with HR and the sort of change management function, I kind of got, actually, I needed to kind of paint a picture of what the benefits were to the organization. and. I ended up coming up with this house analogy, actually. So I ended up talk- talking about certain things being the foundations like identity and access management, you know, being able to identify who our employees are and, you know, securely access things. That was kind of like the foundations of the house. And then on top of that, you had things like, um, you know, document management, document collaboration, office, you know, productivity and things like that. And then at the top of the house, you kind of had you know more differentiated experiences for our employees and knowledge management on, you know, the kind of core offerings of the business and things like that. So... But, but but um painting it as a house really, really worked because I could kind of use analogies like, you know, getting some really bespoke house versus a, a modular sort of you know huff house or something, or or um putting in a bespoke kitchen versus getting something off the shelf. So it, it kind of allowed me to kind of explain the different choices we had as part of the technical program in a way that people sort of understood. And I think that was the first time I think I flipped out of just putting up some, you know complicated systems diagram or um, you know putting up a whole load of bells and whistles from a technology perspective I think it was the first project I actually flipped and went you know what now actually I need to uh, uh, I need to kind of create some some slides some visuals here that that my stakeholders are going to understand but it's interesting because now that some people get accused of being a powerpoint architect right because that's what they do they they create (laughs) they create those visuals but yeah could could you then go and crank out the code We'll, well we'll know and it's it's interesting how we almost kind of start sort of, you know, telling people off because they're, they're, they're good at this. But actually, it's, as we just said, it's a really valuable um, role to play, I think. And people shouldn't be ashamed of being a PowerPoint architect because actually there's a lot of value in it.
0: I mean, you know, maybe, maybe it's, you know, the fact that it's PowerPoint, right? But as the delivery vehicle, you know, people look at that, oh, it's a trivial, you know, idiot-proof, you know, sort of thing. But the reality is, is that crafting a logical narrative that is both vertically logical you know and and also horizontally logical in other words you know throughout the whole story end to end as well as within an individual slide right i mean that's not easy to do to craft a story
1: yeah, well, I mean, I think that when we see, you know, when we see one of these types, one of these personality types that we're talking about, sort of diminishing the other, and it's basically them just saying, I don't really understand it. So let me just make it look like it isn't very important compared to what I do. Right. I mean, that's super easy. And I I, I get that bit. Um, you know, that's just the way people are are wired. I mean, they're, how do I feel significant? Sometimes I feel like I must have to crush someone else to get there. Well, it's just that way. Some people are like
2: that. And I was I was gonna make a flippant comment, Chris, about how isn't that what you pay a consultant for to create a very nice
0: slide mm-hmm. deck, you know, kind of Well, no, but there's something to that, right? It's like, you know, um, you know, I, I already know I already know something about this, but I don't know how to articulate it. So I'm gonna hire McKinsey to help me articulate it. God, that would yeah. be expensive. But I mean, you get my point, right? right?
1: <laughs> And is that what a CEO does, really. And the actual CEO of a corporation creates what the story is and allocates resources to particular decisions because, you know, none of them can actually write code or, I mean, typically, right? And they're not, there's a whole bunch of things that have to be done. They can't do. But what they can do is cause the story to coalesce about where we're headed.
3: There is definitely a skill. And a power, and being able to logically tell a story, right? Break down complex things into simple. But I think there's another really important thing that underlies that, and it's an empathy, right? It's it's not just following, you know, some framework to break it down, but really saying, if I'm putting myself in your shoes. Does this meet where you're at right now? Does this meet your needs? Would this resonate? Would this land if I were in those shoes? And I think that's a, a a really important part of this and, and part of the talent
0: i completely agree with you right i remember someone telling me a partner a couple of years ago that you know because we were on a project and there was some issues or whatever and i was freaking out and it's like three in the morning and you know it's like we gotta we gotta be we gotta have all this done by eight right and that sort of thing and i remember him saying to me he's like it doesn't matter and I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't matter? And I'm like, I'm like, this could, this could end our project if we don't get this right. He's like, he's like none of that matters. I'm like, this is the story. You know, this is the story. We got to get the story right. So like, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, because the client feels good. We've made the client feel good about something. So the actual story report status, all that, you know, the, the appendix, right? And all those sorts, that bit is important. But it's not critical because the client, we've made the client feel good, right? The emotional thing. I think that's what you're saying, right? Is that the story is not just the logic. It's got to have, it's got to connect, right? It's got to inspire, right? It's got to do all these things and you know not to be you know we, we by the way we we tend to make these things so that as phil said they're evergreen right these consultants podcast consultants saying things podcasts but you know there are things going on in the world right now where you can you can see stark contrast between um someone who stands up and and leads right and and someone who who doesn't right and so i think you know it's really it's that emotional thing would you know and just to point it out and to highlight it would would the would the world have rallied around the ukrainians without sort of the inspirational leadership of of their president and i don't know maybe i'd like to think so but um i'm skeptical
1: well and but i think is it like any story and i want to get back to something i think that or to something that Oliver said, which I think is an important set of ideas, right? And when you talk about um, Sapiens, the book by Yuval Noah Harari, right? He, his point, and I, I never remember if I used his language or it's something I used later, but it's shared subjective reality, right? So we create this image of what we want the world to be or how we think the world works. And of course, the, the examples he gave and then Oliver gave as well as you know, currency is a shared subjective reality. Let's face it, that little green piece of paper, at least for me and Chris, that little green piece of paper in our pocket um, doesn't really mean anything except that we believe that it means something when we hand it to somebody else and it could be anything, our flags and ideals and all that kind of stuff. But the way we get people to enlist is to be able to tell a story. And then that story gets told in a bunch of different ways. Back to Wendy's point, right? Some of us are visual learners. And so some of us need the PowerPoint because that really is a battle flag. It's not just us putting some words up on a slide. It's like this, our flag means this, this is what we're for, right? And then there are other people like they learn from reading, right? They they are readers. And so they have to see the words on the page. But in all of this, we're using the story to build trust so that we will cooperate. Because otherwise we would never do that. We are not, I mean, we would cooperate. I mean, five of us could get lunch together, but we couldn't have, you know 3500 consultants thinking about like some of these big banks working on collaboratively you know supporting a financial institution right That's an enormous task and without shared subjective reality it doesn't happen
0: so so how do you get there because i think some people hear storyteller right and they think oh, i just got to be a good talker right or you know you see you see some people and it's like well they're they're just up there Doing this right. And they're weaving a great story, but there's no substance, right?
2: Yeah. Gonna, uh, where's the gonna, risk there? I was going to come on to this actually, because I think one of the things, again, similar sort of time frame to the previous example I gave about the the collaborations of the platform project, i had a bit of an epiphany, which is there's almost this kind of continuum of people from the sales people who are just all about selling something, but perhaps, and I'm sorry, I'm gonna make some sweeping generalizations here, perhaps don't understand the depth of what they're selling, but all the way through. So they kind of, you know. Stereotypical, locked in the cupboard programmer who never sees the light of day, who you know is, is perhaps amazingly gifted at you know Python library X Y Z whatever it is, right? So really super detailed, and they're really passionate about it. But if they want to then convey why what they're working on is important to the business, they they they, they, they really struggle, right? Because that's not the world that they, they they live in. As per our point earlier, and for me it was interesting, sort of in my career, to sort of look at people through these different sort of. Where are they on the continuum? Are they very confident, perhaps sometimes in danger of being arrogant and overconfident in some cases, or are they suffering from imposter syndrome because they know their stuff, which generally means they know what they don't know, and therefore they're uncomfortable speaking about it because they fear someone's going to pick holes in in, in what they're talking about. So, I getting the balance right between knowing enough, and it goes back to I think I can't remember if it was on one of our episodes or on um, Architect Tomorrow talking about this kind of T-shaped or V-shaped people where. You know enough depth, but you have the breadth. And I think the breadth thing is what the communications, you know, the communication and stakeholder engagement and you know, emotional kind of engagement sort of piece. because um, Chris, I really like what you said about, you know, it's really about how you make people feel, you know. So if if you make people feel like you understand something, even if you don't, if you make them feel that way, they, they're gonna be happy with, with with what you're doing, to to your to your point earlier. So I think it's it, it's one I think that comes with experience. And knowing your audience, reading your audience and knowing whether you need to go to, to Phil's point about giving them lots of detail because they're analytical and they want to read. So you have lots of bullets or lots of kind of handouts to give them or they're very visual and, you know, or or, or, or very financially orientated, numbers orientated. So I, I, it's, it's, it's a tricky one, right? But this is what makes it... Um, an important skill in the consultant's kickback. So, once you do know how to navigate this communication sort of problem, the world is your oyster. Is
0: so you, you said, you said, you know, you in there, you said, it, you know, it comes with experience. So, I mean, I guess the question, is this something that, you know, if you're a new consultant, you can learn to do is are there, are there things that, are there tips and techniques Are there tricks books you should read that sort of thing? Or is this, uh, I need, I need repetition. I need cycles doing this to get good at it. Or are some people just naturally gifted at this.
2: I think there are people that are naturally gifted and then you can work at it. I think I I think I guess if I look at myself, I've kind of, I guess, always had reasonable communication skills. But I think I really had to work on honing them and making them more relevant in the business setting. Um, whereas I, th- I, as I think other people, yeah, it, I think it's a it's self-awareness thing and a self-improvement thing. As much as anything else.
3: I agree with that, Oliver. I think um I think some are gifts and some are leanings, as we're saying, and then there's certainly ways to To learn it through direct methods, like I said, storytelling classes and things like that. But there's also so much you learn by watching other people and by doing. I think about being a very young consultant and just learning how people put together PowerPoints. Or um, I had an illustrator, a really amazing gentleman that worked for me. And I was like, "How, How do I learn this? How do I get better at this? And he's like, Just Just watch, just look at stuff, just find what interests you and start using it and start copying it. And so I think it's a very evolutionary uh, way to get better over time as well.
1: You know, I think the thing is, so if you were to give advice, right, to someone who says, look, I feel like this is, there's a, I've got a deficit here, right? And I I mean, so how might that deficit manifest itself? Places I've seen, it's like, hey, you know what? I try to get people to do a thing with me and I just never seem to be able to get them together, right? That's a good example I am frustrated. I mean, I think another story I've seen someone come to me and their story was I am frustrated because people don't seem to trust me. And they were not and they weren't a person without virtue. The problem was they didn't realize that they had mannerisms that basically made people not trust them. And they needed to work in that space. And it was great because we got to work together on those things with him. right? But I think those are two symptoms that you might have in that space and say, I can't bring people to me. They don't seem to trust me. Um, You know, why is it nobody wants to do what I'm trying to get done? They all got their own thing. What is it done? So I think in that space, those are the signs that like, wait a second, I might need to be able to tell a better story. I might need to spend some time on it. And as Wendy's pointed out, you know, watching people do it. You know, if you're curious and smart, you'll watch people and you'll get those things figured out. There are books, there are all of that kind of stuff. But I think just beginning with the question of, what is that cat thinking? What are they worried about? What are they afraid of more than anything else? What are they afraid of? And if we start with the idea that everybody, you know, they want to be successful, they want to be significant, they want to feel like they belong. If I can solve those core needs somehow through what we're doing, I can get people on my side.
2: The irony for me for this one, though, is often the people that need that the most really struggle to break out of some habits they're in. And I'll explain what I mean by that. So I've seen some people that are really, really smart, but the way they talk just immediately switches people off, right? Because they come across as this like, know it all, that their way is the best way. And it's really, it's really quite sad because sometimes you you want to kind of take them to one side and say, do you know what? You've got some great ideas, but you're just kind of completely, you, you, you know, your lack of empathy and your lack of, you know, kind of bringing people on the journey with you is completely switching everyone off. So it's it's really frustrating because you've got a great idea there or a great concept or a great project or technical innovation, but the way you're talking, everyone is just like, no, I don't work with that guy. He doesn't listen. You know, it, it, and ironically, they're the people that almost need that like, inner voice to kick in and go, why aren't people listening to me? Well, it's because, but it's not going to happen because it's almost self, you know, self fulfilling in a way.
1: If you're listening, if you're one of us, right, and you have a really bright friend with strong ideas that can't get people to follow them because they're harsh, the way Oliver just described, raise your hand. If you can think of even one person that doesn't get stuff done because they're cranky and difficult, not because they're not the smartest person in the room. Are you talking about me, Phil? And it's none of us. That's the best part, right? It's none of us. It's
0: not me. It's definitely not me. It's that guy over there.
1: Yeah. But well, I mean, Oliver's telling this. I'm like, oh my gosh, I know who he's talking about. I know that guy. I mean, maybe I am that guy some days, but there's lots of times you feel like, oh, I know that cat. I mean, and it's like, you can be the smartest cat in the room and not get your ideas across because yeah. nobody wants to listen to your shit. Yeah, <laughs> okay. they've given up listening to you.
0: So, so if you if you you know you're starting out at Accenture or something, I've decided I won't beat up on Deloitte anymore.
1: Oliver.
0: <laughs> uh, you're starting out at Accenture and you know you want to get better at this, right? What do you do? Is it just watching? Is it, is it some sort of, you know, cognitive-based therapy? Like <laughs> <laughs> well, think,
1: I think Wendy gave the pieces of that, right? I certainly think that, you know, there's a little bit of something in either REBT or CBT to, that is of value to you. But I think just starting with the idea of, like, can you be curious? Can you ask yourself, what are they thinking? Or just ask, hey, you know what? I'm, I want to make sure I'm listening here. What is it you feel like you're trying to get done? And if you feel like there's something I'm not listening to, tell me. If I'm not hearing a thing you think is important, please tell me.
3: It, the, the, on, on one side, there's getting better and improving. But on the other side, it's also perfectly okay to borrow the talent sometimes too. You know, maybe you're not that good or comfortable. Bring a colleague who is, right? Bring them in, you know, leverage other leverage strengths uh, and let them leverage yours as well.
2: And, and, I, and I like that. And I think there's another failing in some people, which is the lack of ability to delegate. Right. And feeling like you're the only person that can talk about something. Well, actually, sometimes you aren't the right person to talk about it because you're too in the, the nuts and bolts. So actually getting a colleague along and saying, Do you know what, I, I need to convey this because they come at it from a completely different perspective. And this is often why I really like working with the change managers and the program managers, because they would just say, oh, yeah, I get it but you've just made it way too complicated. So why don't we just explain it with a four box model or whatever? And, and, and that's brilliant, right? Cause that's where you're collaborating. But again, it comes back to this. And the point I was going to make is self-awareness. I fully believe out of all the training I've done, self-awareness is the biggest superpower you can have because unless you're self-aware and you, and you're comfortable with your weaknesses, right? And I know it's that horrible, cheesy interview question. What are your weaknesses? But
0: you know, it, I, I care too much. That's I my.
2: Mean. <laughs> I'm too humble, <laughs> and, and you and you can over-index, right? You can start, and I, and I think I had a bit of this a few years ago, where I almost became so self-aware, I was like nitpicking everything, right? And then you, and then you, and then it destroys your confidence, so you get real imposter syndrome going on. So I think getting the balance right is critical, but having a degree of self-awareness and then doing something about it and going right, is that something I can improve or? To Wendy's point, is this just something I need to collaborate with someone on? Because I know it's a gap and and therefore teamwork is going to be the way to get around that. But I genuinely think the consultant skill set, yeah, there are lots of consultants out there that are often quite senior and quite arrogant and they they get away with it because they're a subject matter expert in X and therefore people have to bring them in because they're the only one that understands, I don't know, financial tax regulations in farming, outsourcing, or whatever it is, right? So uh, I know that's complete nonsense, but in mind. But but I, th- I think there's a lot of times in the consulting skill set where you just need to kind of be aware of who are you and where are your strengths and where are your weaknesses.
0: Yeah, I mean you 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 dropped the four box model there in your in your your bit. I thought you were gonna to go to like Porter's Five Forces or something like that. I, right? I
2: was aiming to drop in as many consulting cliches as possible right. in that one let's, segment. Let's
0: so. get a two up or a four up on this page. And yeah, anyway. Um but okay. So so um, so that's good. So if you're not good at this, or you think you want to get better at it, there are some things that you can do. Um, you don't want to go too far, Oliver, as you pointed out, where, where does, so this is all, this is all in the vein of like, I want to get better at expressing the thing that I'm thinking about. What about the often necessary, but sometimes slightly more nefarious part, which is I need to take something that's bad and represent it as not so bad right in other words the spin part of this not lying that's unethical but there's ways in which you can tell stories right this project is red but we have a way to get it to green and it looks like this right or whatever whatever the thing is but sort of that um let's not focus over here on the on the awful part let's focus over here on the good part and and move forward where does that play or does it
1: yeah. the thing is, when I know that something is terrible, I know that there's somebody out there who doesn't see it the same way. And they might be able to find some other thing. Right. So it's kind of like where well, Wendy was talking about bringing somebody in, maybe someone else could see the thing. But the thing is, it's like maybe sometimes you just call the thing what it is. And it's like, you know what? I know we all want to be at point Y and today let's acknowledge we're at point x and there's a journey ahead of us right but here's the thing we're going to do this thing and we're going to do it together and we're going to learn something we're going to learn to trust each other and it's not always going to be easy let's create and you know so i think you can create a story about what a journey looks like right um and i i think uh wendy mentioned the hero's journey as a prototype or as a archetype right that's a great thing right i mean it's a hey here is the hero there's the refusal of the call there's a um you know there's the the uh the person that comes in to help right the obi-wan it's like I can't think of the mentor right but there's an obi-wan that comes in to help but there's all in the and then there's the challenge and then there's the return right so if you if you really love archetypal storytelling, then you should go out and read those books because they will tell you those pieces and how they work. But there are YouTube videos that are 20 minutes long that explain the entire technique that you can go out and figure that out. I think I think consultants do. And I,
0: but I think often they're picking the wrong story archetype, right? Too often they're not picking the hero's journey. They're picking the stranger comes to town. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I'm, I've come to town to save the day. Right. I'm Clint Eastwood riding on my horse into the,
1: that is the exactly the biggest problem. And I yeah. see this all the time. And what I explain to them is you are not Luke. You are Obi-Wan. Your customer is Luke. Right? Your customer is the hero of this journey. You're the cat in there to help them. Customer sometimes where... could
0: be Darth Vader. I, you know, it could be...
1: That's up to you. That's up to you. <laughs> yeah. It makes me crazy. But you're right. You are absolutely right. It's the stranger comes to town, right? I am the cat that's coming. I'm here to save you. Look at this.
0: Sound, I mean, it sounds like, we, you know, if, if someone's listening and it's like, I, I think this is a bunch of BS... It's like, well, no, that this narrative piece, the storytelling, the communication of ideas, right? All all of that, that piece critical to any skill set for a consultant. Um, and to get better at it, you know, there are some tangible things that you can do. I think, I think probably repetition is probably a big part of it. And to the self-awareness piece, Oliver, I I I hesitate to say, but perhaps age plays a part in that as well, right? The older you get, maybe the more self-aware you get. Or or maybe some people get less self-aware. I don't know. Um, any other any other last thoughts for for the cats on the ground listening out there?
3: Well, I can only re-emphasize the point which Phil has recrafted as "What's the cat I'm talking to thinking?" Right back to the empathy because that also is going to um, put you, make sure you're you're in the right story and you're the right character in that story for the clients as well.
2: You know what? Yeah, I'll I'll take that and 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 uh, give an example. So at the moment, the one question I ask people when I'm you know, being asked to kind of come to a meeting, a come and convince these people to to do this. I'm like, fine. Give me some information on who I'm meeting. To to Wendy's point about empathy and like, what are they going to? What you know, what's going to work? You know, it, it's kind of like read the room, but in advance you can kind of get ahead. Um, that, that 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 really helps. But yeah, no, I think you know, I've banged on enough about self awareness, but I think just being um, conscious and mindful of, of the situation. You know, what, is, what is the task? What is the kind of project? And what it, you know, what is the mission that you need to convey? And I, I think the last thing I didn't quite get a chance to say was um, the people I admire the most are the ones that can tell those bad stories that we were just touching on in a really constructive, positive way. Like, yes, we're going through a massive cyber attack, but here's the root cause analysis and here's how we work forward to know that this won't happen again or it's very less likely to happen again those are the people i really admire like it's 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 relatively easy i think to kind of give a give a story around like yeah we've got this new project it's gonna be transformational. it's gonna be amazing but the people i admire the most are the ones that can kind of do that crisis management and sort of stay calm and kind of you know navigate people to calmer waters in, in difficult situations
0: yeah you know you brought up an interesting point that you looking at people you admire that do this well and you know I read a lot of history books and stuff like that. And so, you know, there's always this idea of the great man theory, right. Of like the, you know, the great consultant that that comes to town to, to solve the problems. And, you know, I think, um, that can, that can work if it is tied to something tangible. So I think of like, you know, think of someone like a, like an Elon Musk, right. That's like, I'm going to go to Mars. That's the story. And all this other stuff we're doing, and the flamethrowers and like all this other stuff is is part of that narrative. But how inspirational is just the original, we're gonna go to Mars and we're gonna live on Mars in big rockets, right? And I I think you know, so there's there's sort of the this level storytelling, but it's rooted in something that he's actually doing is actually tangible. And I I think you know, um that that that's useful. And so you know, I think you can't just be the great talker, right? You gotta have the the slides underneath right, to back up the story kind of thing. Where's the appendix for the story? I don't know. Phil, last word. What do you think?
1: I mean, I think we've got the points here, but I was trying to, what could you do? We could give them a sort of practical advice. And I really think that, you know, go find storytelling videos on YouTube where people speak authoritatively and can help. I think those are great, you know, um, Oliver started with a reference to what I think is one of the great books everyone should read, which is Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. And there's two companion books, also excellent, well worth reading. Um, But the hero's journey, you know, that is, of course, an idea that was kind of brought to us and crystallized in Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces. And I think that's a very powerful tool for telling stories, something that gives you kind of a broad overview. Um, One of the books that I read very early in my career was uh, Harry Beckwith's Selling the Invisible. And basically, he kind of laid up the point that we're in an age where we're selling ideas, and we're not selling stuff anymore. And we have to change the way we Present those ideas to people, and one of the most powerful ideas was: we're not really trying to sell people the best anymore. We're trying to sell them. We're trying to explain to them that this is not going to hurt, right? That basically we're that no harm gets done in this space, and that we can be trusted to deliver it. So basically, it's risk aversion is really what's on their mind. Not I need the very best of this thing or that, but how can we help them minimize their risk in an area of so much. So I like I like all of those. I think that's it. I think that, you know, someone who is aware and interested, they're going to go find these resources. But these are a few of trusted voices in my own world.
0: Well, thank you, guys. Um, this is interesting. I learned something about storytelling that I didn't previously know. Um, so that, that's good always. And um, just on the empathy thing. There is therapy for empathy and I've taken it. And it's not bad, you know. Maybe I need more, but you know, who knows? Well, we'll go with that. Listen, uh, thanks, everybody. Um, so we will see uh, everybody next time. Cheers.